Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's here. It's NBA opening night. It's finally, finally here. Sweet son of a gun. October the 18th offseason episode 137. And we made it. Ooh, boy. Well, you know what? It's behind us now. We've done all the prep. We've had our fantasy drafts. We've gone buck wild for half the year, damn it. That's half a year of pods. It's, you know, just under 25, 22-ish. Something like that, 22 and 23 shows a month. Whew. All right. And we've got games. But we have a couple other things we got to take care of on today's show. First of all, hi, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is a sports ethos presentation I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Thank you, as always, for spending some time with us, with me, on this pod. It's been a weirdly inspiring offseason to see how many of you actually stuck it out for these 137 episodes that are, uh, frankly, not individually as critical as uh, you know some of the in-season ones where you've got all this breaking news and whatever. But you know what? We did all this this crazy prep work together. We got to this point. Uh, and there's just one last little thing we got to finish, and that is finishing up the old man squad. Remember, we left off at Al Horford on yesterday's show. We have 11 more names to get out there today. We'll do a little old man squad roundup at the end of it so you guys know where we left off with everything and kind of put it all in a bow, and that'll be the end of our season prep. And then I want to talk just for a minute or two, not long, and when I say minute or two, I mean a Dan Bespris minute or two, so like five to ten, on how to approach in-season fantasy basketball, because your brain has to flip here into a different universe. But let's finish up the old man squad. Everything else can wait a little bit. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. is the next one, ADP of 88.9. This one is like your world's most obvious easy win of the year. Now, I get it. There are things in Trent's game that might regress a little bit. His steals were crazy high last year. They finished at 1.8 after actually being over two for a pretty long stretch during the season, and then, not surprisingly, kind of coming down as the year went on. Here's what I want you guys to be thinking of. Second half of last year, Gary Trent was much more like a top 65-70 range player, mostly because of the steals. Not exclusively, but mostly. Second half of the season, I guess he was still in the 50 range the second half of the year, but the last two months or so, his field goal percent dropped just below 40, and steals came down to more like 1.5 instead of 1.8 or 2. Which Trent do we get this year? I don't actually know. His steals are going to be decent. Toronto is a gambling team. I don't see that going away anytime soon. His number of shot attempts are going to be decent because the team is pretty much the same makeup as last year. Which, you know, again, there's... I think they're going to be excited because I feel like maybe they're expecting a little better health. They've got Scotty Barnes, who's young. They want OG Ananobi to be there for more of the year. Okay. Gary Trent Jr. is a very safe scorer, three-point shooter, steals, free-throw guy. He fits a certain build, that is for sure. But when you're getting drafted in your 90, because now we're into the early ninth round, 
even a bad year, given he's starting out there, even a bad year is top 75 range. So you're getting around a value still in almost what's a worst-case scenario, minus catastrophic injury. If he's decent, if the steals stay high, if the field goal percent is sort of, I mean, these things move, you know, like field goal percent could be 43 or 44 one year if everything just broke right for a couple extra months, or it could be 39 if things break wrong. That's why we create this window, because as much work as we do, you can't handicap exactly what someone's field goal percent is going to be. You base it off of what you've seen in the past. My expectation is that Gary Trent is a top 60 player or better, I think better. 56 I have him per game. I think there is a little bit of erosion from last year. I expect him to be relatively healthy. A little bit more than league average totals, I have him at 52. This one's a little controversial. Next name on the list is still Brandon Clark, who I was very bullish on when his ADP was like 140 at the start of draft season. And then it rocketed up into the 70s and 80s range. And now, after this Santi Aldama stuff during preseason... It has dropped back a little bit uh, and settled at 98.1, which I'm going to effectively say is 100. Because again, we're now... Sorry, I had Gary Trent in the ninth round. He's actually in the eighth round. You guys are probably yelling at me about that. Brandon Clark is in the ninth round. And the other guys that go in the ninth round, there are a few really interesting ones, but here's the thing. I don't care that Clark is still coming off the bench. He actually didn't make sense in a starting unit that still had Steven Adams in it. There's just no spacing. Adams is going to be near the bucket for offensive rebounds and putbacks. Clark needs to be near the bucket for rolling, rim running effectively, and hammer dunking. Defensively, Clark is not a shot blocker. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, he'll get a one. He'll get a few every once in a while. With his, with his, as high as he can jump, he'll sort of fall into a shot block. But he's not like what you'd call a traditional shot blocker. The thing about Brandon Clark is that He's a roto guy. In head-to-head, you can almost disregard this segment. But last year, in 19 and a half minutes per game, he was top 125. And with Kyle Anderson, because you guys probably prefer I just call him slow-mo, gone, and JJJ hurt for presumably a month, maybe two, Clark has a massive runway, even with Aldama around. Because what do we even think? Like, is Aldama going to take all of slow-mo's minutes? All of JJJ's minutes? He's not going to take all of both. Clark's getting more. It's not like he's going to get 20 extra minutes, but to go from 19.5 to 24 is pretty easy given how much is up for grabs, and 24 minutes for Clark is more than enough. I would point you guys to basically the middle chunk of last season. There was a run, and I don't remember exactly when it was. I feel like it was like December to February or beginning of March or something like that, where suddenly Brandon Clark just had a little bit more wiggle room. And by a little, I mean a very little. He played 21 minutes per game during a 30-game stretch in the middle of the year, and he was number 81 in fantasy. Because that's how well his stats translate on the Roto side. 12.6 boards, nothing spectacular there, but .7 steals, 1.1 blocks. Good numbers for both of those for a forward center guy. Uh, field goal percent was through the roof, 66% on eight shots per ball game, And then, of course, he's not going to turn it over at all. 
And if you think he's going to get 21 or 22 minutes a game this year, he can get inside the top 90. If you think he gets 24 minutes per game, he can get inside the top 70. And if you think he somehow bumbles his way into 26 minutes per game, he could be a top 60 range guy. This is all a little bit more of a kind of before JJJ comes back thing, because then he likely settles back into that 19 to 21 minute role, which still probably keeps him near the top 100, but it is going to impact his full season numbers. So what I did for the old man squad, I wanted to try to line this out like a before and after sort of deal. I think Brandon Clark's top 75 while JJJ is out. I think totals on the year, Clark puts up really good numbers because, you know, as long as he's still playing even after JJJ is back, he's still putting things into the totals bucket. But, you know, a guy that's going near 100 now, who I think is going to be top 75 for at least six to eight weeks, I'll make a move on that. And I think there's upside beyond 75 if they, you know, we know they have good chemistry and if kind of the reality of a regular season slaps Santi Aldama in the face and his minutes decrease. And you see the Grizzlies go smaller more often. All of that is very possible. I like Clark a lot. I think he's being underdrafted again after being underdrafted, then overdrafted, now underdrafted because of all of that negative stuff during preseason. So I like him. Larry Markinen has an ADP of 99.2. This one's kind of cheating a little bit because he's really going more like in the 85 range. I actually still think that's a win at 85. I've got his per game numbers at 66, ever so slight, very slight step forward from last year. Totals at 61. I think he plays in most of Utah's games, even when they're tanking. He'll get a rest day here and there. But look, they're just not going to be that good. So you don't have to shut everybody down. He'll miss a few games. He'll probably be in the like 68, 69 range on the year. And to me, that's another relatively easy win. Here's the grossest one on the whole list. Gordon Hayward, but his ADP is 112.4. He is very much a roto play. I would not touch him in head-to-head because if we know anything about Gordon Hayward, he's going to suffer a weird injury at some point during the year, and it's going to blow up his games played. Last three seasons, 52 out of 72, 44 out of 72, 49 out of 82. He ain't going to stay healthy. But even at his worst, Gordon Hayward is still, like, we're not talking about coming back from the injury that exploded his leg. So if you throw that season out, Gordon Hayward in 30 minutes a game is 14 to 15 points, a steal, probably four-ish rebounds, three and a half assists, probably one and a half to two three-pointers, probably good free throw percent. I mean, like, you can go through his entire career arc. He really hasn't had a fantasy season per game. I would stress this very much again, per game for Hayward. He really hasn't had a fantasy season where he's been worse than top 75. And last year was about as close as he got to that at number 73 per game. And even if you think his game takes a step back, there's no Miles Bridges. No one was brought in to fill that role on Charlotte. It's just like more Hayward, more LaMelo when he gets back, more Terry Rozier. So a little more Gordon Hayward, who's actually a pretty efficient basketball player in all, by all accounts, could replicate last year and maybe even go a little bit higher than that. But he's probably going to miss 30 games for some weird reason. So no, I wouldn't draft him in head-to-head. Hell yeah, I'd draft him in Roto. I think he's top 75 per game. I think he's outside the top 120 by totals. 
DeAnthony Melton. Um, there's a little bit of a coattail riding thing here. I try to make a lot of these guys dudes that are not on other analysts' lists because it makes it easier. I just think Melton has uh, such a fantasy-friendly game, and he's finally out from underneath Taylor Jenkins. And if you look at last year with DeAnthony, like even with all of the horrible things that were going on to his playing time, getting uh, yanked all around, losing his confidence, shooting like ungodly low, 40% from the field, 75 at the foul line. In 22 and a half minutes per game, he was still one top 110, which basically plays in 12-teamers, if fringy. And any improvement from that, give him one extra minute on the court, get his field goal percent up just 1%, his free throw percent up 2 3%, then he moves inside the top 100, and he can just rocket boost forward from there. Give him two and a half extra minutes. Give him an extra half a shot. Give him two to three more percent on field goal. Whatever it is you want to give him that's above kind of like a seller-level performance last year, and he should beat it. I've got Melton at 85 per game, and that's over the course of a whole year. It actually probably better than that for stretches when guys like Harden miss time or if Maxi gets hurt for any reason and he steps in because he is the primary option off the bench on that club. And by totals, because he was pretty healthy last year too, I've got him inside the top 70. We're not moving fast enough. Jalen Smith at 118.8. By the way, Melton was 114.7. Jalen Smith, I think, is another easy win. I don't know why his uh, ADP has been trending down. I mean, I know why it is. Okay. Zip, zip, zip. Re- reboot. I know why his ADP is trending down. It's because Yahoo's X rank moved him down the board. I don't know why they did that is a better way to phrase it. Smith's looked... A little bit lethargic during the preseason, but who cares? He's the starting power forward on that team. He's a rebounding vacuum with energy, is young, is playing for, like, basketball career. There's nothing not to like about this. He's going to fall into a few steals and blocks. He's not going to collect a ton of them, but, like, if you're a power forward playing 30 minutes a game that can jump a little and rebound, you're going to get, you know... 0.7 0.7 to 1 block. He'll probably get half a steal, something like that. And, like, I mean, this is a guy that could grab 10 rebounds a game because Miles Turner is not a good rebounding center. He floats away from the bucket. He's chasing people for shot blocking. He's expecting someone else to go clean that up after he rejects it. Miles is great, by the way. I love Miles Turner, but he's not a huge rebounder. Never has been. I don't think he ever will be. So, Smith, that's going to be his job out there. He's going to be soaking in rebounds swimming in an Olympic pool of rebounds. I have him per game at number 79, totals 85, because I do think there are going to be some rest days and shutdown stuff in Indiana. Brooke Lopez, classic old man guy, made the list. His ADP is 120.4, technically putting him right nipping at the heels of the 10th round, but officially he's like prairie dogging out of the 11th round. That was gross. Uh... Brooke Lopez is just going to plot along with, with per-game value between 90 and 100, which I know is not super sexy, but useful. If you can get him in the 11th round, he'll help shore up blocks. He does it without hurting your feel, uh, free throw percent. I think his field goal percent is going to be better than what a lot of projections have him at because he has moved closer to the bucket in recent years. I know he's a floor spacer, but they get him looks right in front of the rim. Um, he's also been, outside of last year, he's actually been much more durable lately, more than people give him credit for. I think he plays about league average, maybe one or two more. Uh, So inside the top 100 per game, inside the top 90 by totals. 
Couple young guys, couple old guys to polish this thing off. Isaiah Jackson, ADP of 124.8. Uh, this is one that is going to take off like a comet through the sky as soon as Miles Turner gets traded. I think Jackson actually probably sits just outside the top 100 even before a Turner trade because he is so unbelievably effective even in what you'd call more limited minutes. Uh, he has that stat set. Remember, at the end of last year, uh, Isaiah Jackson played about 21 minutes per game and this is when they were, like, bouncing other weird centers in. And he was inside the top 100 in 21 minutes a night, which I think he could probably get to start this season. Some of that issue, by the way, was kind of a high-volume struggling at the free-throw line, but he blocked 2.2 shots per game in 21 minutes a night. The ceiling is ridiculous for Isaiah Jackson. In fact, over the last three weeks last year, I know it's a very small sample size, he played 23 minutes per game and was inside the top 70. So just picture in your mind what could happen to this dude if Miles gets traded and he gets 25 minutes per game, 26 minutes per game. You're talking top 50 at that point. But prior to that, you're probably looking at 100 range, which is fine. It won't blow the roof off the building. He's going to help shore up field goal percent and blocks for your club in the short term. But... Indiana has to trade Turner. He's on a contract year. He's worth a ton with the expiring deal. And then Jackson's going to go nuts. He's one of the young guys I like a ton this year. This is not all old guys. So after a Miles Turner trade, I have his per-game value near the 60s. I think on the season, his totals is going to be near 65 because he's another guy that can play even if the team is tanking. Cam Johnson, who just did not get the extension he probably deserved from the Suns. I guess they were like $10 million apart. Oh, what's the $10 million between friends? Per game, I've got him at 82. Total 66. I think he's going to be durable. He's going to be playing for some serious cashola this year. Uh, Jay Crowder is inactive. That job is his. From a stat set standpoint, there isn't a crazy ceiling for Cam. Um because he just doesn't do that many things besides efficient scoring. Last year, he was number 94 for the entire season. 12.5 points, 4 boards, 2.5 threes, a steal. 46% from the field, 86th foul line, but very few rebounds, very few assists, no blocks. Turnovers are nice and low. He's pretty good for Roto, um, but he might actually push his way into head-to-head discussion this year, because if those 9 shots per game become more like a dozen, he moves up the board pretty quick. Because field goal percent, he's not really damaging you very much. Free throw helps. Scoring, threes, all those other things that come with getting shots are much more in the positive. Like, we talk on the show about how usage is value. It's more so for certain guys than other. Cam is one of those dudes where usage is extremely valuable. Because with some guys, like, if they have a horrible free throw percent or field goal percent, more usage is buffered, the, the the increase is sort of buffered by something pulling it back a little bit. Yes, if you get more usage, typically, let's say you're a wing, you're going to have more points, more threes, and your percentages are going to be more impactful. So for Johnson, three of those four things are good, and the fourth is kind of neutral, ever so slight negative, but kind of neutral. Uh, an example of someone kind of on the other side of that would be like, well, the guy he's replacing at power forward. What about Jay Crowder? If he has more usage, yeah, that's great. More points, more threes. Um, 
but field goal percent, free throw percent were actually both negative last year. So the positives were good. The negatives probably not quite as strong as the positive increase, but that does temper it in a way that with Johnson, more usage is almost all good. I think I'm being actually kind of conservative with mid-80s, early 80s on the per-game side. Uh, If he does see a bigger bump, like it's very possible he gets two to three extra shots per game, he could get into the 70s. And some old guys to round it out. And these are kind of long shots with some asterisks by them, but we're going to throw them in the mix. Mike Conley at 129.7 and Kelly Olenek at 141. These are each dudes that you will draft expecting to drop them at some point in the middle of the year. Which is such a weird thing to say, but look, think of it this way. If you're in like a 14 uh, slot league or something like that, aren't you probably going to be kind of rotating the last one, maybe two roster spots on your team anyway? If you're in head-to-head, you're probably streaming them. If you're in Roto, you're probably just looking for that next hot thing. Well, these guys have an opportunity to be that next hot thing, but for more than a week or two. Like with Conley, he's another guy where, uh, who are we talking about before this? I think it was Gordon Hayward was the example of this. Mike Conley is, even in like the lowest possible effort, a top 75 fantasy player. He just is, and he's still the starting point guard for the Utah Jazz. Colin Sexton is the starting shooting guard. So Conley, who only took 11 shots a game last year, averaged 14 points, 5 assists, 1.3 steals. That's easy to replicate, especially when you consider the fact that Sexton coming in, along with Larry Markkinen, those guys probably together have a lower combined usage than Boyan Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell going out, which I just realized you could kind of combine their names. Boyan Bogdanovich Mitchell. Congratulations. We did something special today. But look, Conley's role is going to go away at some point this year. We're well aware of that. Utah's going to go into a tank. They're going to try to move him. If they can't move him, they'll probably just bench him. He'll get a lot of rest days. Maybe he will play intermittently towards the second half of the year, but they're not going to play him 29, 30 minutes during that stretch. I think they will at the beginning of the year. Like, you know, he's uh, he's got two years on his thing, so there's kind of no reason to just put him on ice. Like, if you're going to trade him, you're going to trade him. Next year would be a much easier year to get uh, something back for Conley. This year, you're kind of, like, trying to get the hell out from under his contract. So teams know that, and this is going to linger on a little bit. But, you know, even if they give him a day off every week, if, if particularly on the Roto side, you know, getting this dude in the 130s, whatever it is, I've seen him even go later than that, like, that's an unbelievable steal. He's a startable player. You're drafting in probably the 11th or 12th round. And when I say startable, I mean like 6th, 7th round kind of startable. Yeah, obviously. By January, he's probably going to be worthless. But the rest of October, November, and December, if you can get two months and change maybe out of a 70 to 75 range fantasy player, you take it. Even on the head-to-head side, that's worthwhile. That's something that can rack you up some extra wins early in the season. And just know in your mind... Treat it like a streamer. Don't get too attached. Same story with Kelly Olynyk. If he's really starting and playing 25, 26 some odd minutes a game, which he probably will because they're going to want him to space things out and pass and move the ball and kind of help the young guys a little bit. You guys know I've had a, a 
chateau on Olenek Island for a very long time. The the internet was all congratulate. I got like the world's biggest pat on the back when he got traded to Houston a few years ago. It's not going to be like that. He's not going to get whatever it was. I don't even He was getting like 14, 15 shots a game with the Rockets, and he was top 30. It's not going to be that. But he's another dude you can get in the very last round, typically 140s or later in drafts, who probably will have top 100 value or better for some number of weeks to start the year. How many? We don't know. But we also don't care. And that's the Dan Vesper Sold Man Squad for the 2022-23 NBA campaign. If you listen to yesterday's show, you know that our favorites among that list were Big Al, Al Horford. I think he's going to be one of the biggest jumpers uh, this year to go from kind of a late-ish, mid-late rounder to possibly early value. I love Kevin Durant, super early. Um, I love Kristaps Porzingis, actually, in the mid-rounds. Um, and then today we got to talk about some late guys that I think are like shoe-ins to have really special seasons. Uh, and I like Keldon Johnson in the middle also. So it's not all young guys. There are a lot of old dudes that have a ton of value. There are some young guys who have some really cool ceilings. I really wanted to try, and one of the reasons that we did this kind of in an organized way at the very end is because I wanted to show you the names I like that aren't necessarily... Some of them parallel other analysts, but I think a lot of these names were guys that other analysts are not as high on, and it's a really good opportunity for us to capitalize on that. Now, that said, other analysts are high on Dame and DeJounte Murray and uh, Desmond Bain and Vassell and Markinen and Melton and Jackson and Cam Johnson. So again, like, not alone on all of them, but I don't know. 15 to 20 of these are ones where I think I'm probably not with most analysts. And some of that is the Roto side. Like, we, as we talked through them, I tried to make very clear some of these guys you're going to want to be a bit more careful with on the head-to-head side. But just like every damn year, old guys are falling, and you got to mix in some of the young guys that have upside beyond what the buzz might carry. The Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. We take a big, deep breath as we do finally get through that. Have you guys ever browsed in incognito mode? It's probably not as incognito as you think. In fact, I can guarantee it's not. And why would it be? The browser you're using made its fortune by tracking your movement. It's a farce. And what do these big tech companies do when they're called out for collecting user data? They say, and I quote, incognito does not mean invisible, which I guess is technically right. So how do you actually make yourself invisible or as invisible as possible online? You use ExpressVPN, just like I do. Because it turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity is still getting tracked and brokers are still buying and selling your data. One of these is actually just your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to identify you in your location. But with ExpressVPN, your IP gets masked. Every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers. They can't figure out who you are or where you are. It's beautiful. And it's so easy to use whatever device, phone, laptop, smart TV, whatever. You open it up, you tap one button, 
instant protection. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Head to expressvpn.com slash hoopball and get three extra months for free. Yes, it is the old site name. I say again, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Get three free months. Learn more now. I want to talk to you guys for just a second, like I said, about how to handle this move now into the regular season. In particular, the beginning of the regular season, because each part of the year comes in its own little waves. There are portions. The season sort of packets, little quanta. There's the dog days, which for me is one of the, my favorite times to bet on the NBA. I think the dog days is where motivation is everything. The beginning of the season is this kind of surprise time. But it's also small sample size theater. And so what I want you guys to remember as we head into the season, maybe more so tomorrow than today, because there's only two games going on today, Uh, We'll probably get one or two surprises, even in a two-game card, but we'll certainly have some on our first big Wednesday coming up tomorrow. But what I want you guys to remember as you head into these first couple days, or even, frankly, the first three weeks of the year, is that small sample size drives the conversation. This is buy low, sell high to the extreme at the beginning of the year. Do not overreact to established NBA players having field goal percent issues. Do not react on the opposite side to established NBA players having crazy high field goal percent runs to start the year because these things level off. Do, however, react to things that the market did not account for. My favorite example of this is... I think it's three years ago now. Is it? The hell? What? I don't actually know. Uh, Does anybody keep track of this stuff? (laughs) Oh, it doesn't matter. Devontae Graham. Not in New Orleans. Devontae Graham, when he burst onto the scene with Charlotte. I think that was the COVID year. 2019, 2020? It's three years ago now. Good Lord, the hell happened? No one saw that coming. And he came out on that very first game, late in 2019, and exploded. Played 27 minutes. The first game, 23 points, 8 assists, 7 out of 9 shooting. It would have been easy, and I, you know, I did this in at least some of my leagues, to write that off as a guy who got really hot on opening night and say, I need to see this one more time. Well, he came out two days later, and he scored 24 points with four assists on eight out of 15 shooting. And it became clear that this was a guy that pretty much no one thought was going to play starters minutes, but got starters minutes, even off the bench, right out of the chute. And posted big-time fantasy numbers. Now, I'm not bringing him up because I think he's going to do anything. He's not, by the way. He's not going to do anything this season. But I'm bringing him up because there's always one 
as good as fantasy analysts are, and a lot of us are pretty good at this and stare at numbers and names for hours and hours and hours, there's always something that happens during the first pass of games, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or even just as quickly as Tuesday, Wednesday, that no one saw coming. And that is when you need to be ready to move. But how do you know which one it is and how do you know what move to make? That's also a really long discussion that we're going to try to mash into two and a half minutes. First of all, the guy you drop is someone you should have been kind of ready to drop even before the season started. Check out your team and figure out which is the dude who doesn't have upside. Not the guy who gets off to the worst start. This is called the Rob Covington phenomenon from four or five years ago now, who Rob shot like 19% for a month, got dropped everywhere, and then was top 20 the last four and a half months of the season. By the way, again, I don't think Covington's going to have a giant ear. I'm just using an example from the past. So please do try to hang with me here. Someone on your team is going to get off to an atrocious shooting start, and it's probably going to be someone that you're relying on. I don't, I don't know who. Just look at your roster. Uh, look at, like, your fifth best player and say, what if this dude gets off to a terrible shooting start? What if you drafted Jamal Murray here coming off of injury and he shoots, like, 25% in his first five games? You're not going to drop him because you know what's to come. But on the other hand, if you drafted, say, I don't know, like, Bones, to use another player in Denver, and after a week... After two weeks, he's only playing 19 minutes a game. That's a different story. Or maybe you picked up Kelly, maybe you drafted Kelly Oubre Jr. There's some ceiling there, but what if it turns out Charlotte doesn't really want to use him? These are the things you need to be looking for. Look at how much someone's getting used and how they're getting utilized, and that should inform your drop. As far as the pickup goes, it's the same kind of thing. Look at how a player is being used and not just what they do with that usage. That's why game one for Devontae Graham was so confusing. Because, yeah, he got a bunch of minutes, but we didn't know if he got extra minutes because he was super hot, or if he w- the plan was actually just to play him 27 to 33 minutes a game. We found that out in game two. Sometimes you need two games to figure it out. Sometimes you only need one. As far as buy low and sell high stuff is concerned, this is the greatest time ever. Don't do something insane like your eighth rounder uh, has two unbelievable games and they're shooting 72% from the field and then you try to trade them for a second rounder. You're just going to get laughed right out of your league. But if your eighth rounder comes out, has two outstanding games, shoots really well, you could try to trade them for like somebody's sixth or seventh rounder incremental improvements. You are not going to fleece somebody, especially not early in the season. But what you can do is, and more than anything, you need to be looking at someone on the other side that's off to an anomalous slow start. Look at someone on another team who's not shooting as well, or maybe their minutes aren't quite where that person thought they would be. A buy low and a sell high have to match up. But perception only influences things a little bit. Remember, as you're making trades, people value the players they drafted where they drafted them, even if that's not how they're playing. But if they're playing so poorly or so well that you can't ignore it, it will just tug on that draft number a little bit. 
I drafted player X at pick 45, and he's been awful. I'm willing to sell him now for someone who was drafted, I don't know, in the 50s, maybe as late as 60. Even if, But the longer that player is awful, the cheaper they become. But also, probably the harder it is for you to then buy on that player. Same thing on the other side. I drafted player Y at slot 40-something, and he's been incredible. But I'm not going to be able to go get someone who was drafted in the teens. You got to look closer. First week of the season, you're probably not going to be able to convince anybody of anything on the buy low, sell high front. After two or three weeks, you could probably squeeze a buy low, sell high by maybe a round, round and a half. If someone's terrible and someone's great for a month, you might be able to squeeze two to three rounds of value in that buy low, sell high. And with every passing week, you can just move the gap a little bit wider between where the players were drafted, not where they are currently ranked. The equation is not mathematical. It's more gut than anything else. But you have to assume that draft position is 100% of a player's perceived value on opening night. And over time, every week or two, their actual rank informs that perceived rank by 5%, 10%, 15%, whatever it is. And that's how you can try to match up buy low, sell high, uh, and get something out of it. So again, remember, as we head into the season, be ready to react to big surprises these first couple of days. Be prepared to drop a particular low upside player on your team. Don't draft someone that you were really excited about who gets off to an awful start if you think that something is coming. It's the low upside guys. Those are the ones that you won't regret dropping later in the year. Like if something pans out for your low upside dude and he ends up as like number 95, you're not really going to care all that much. Be ready and do not overreact to things that you can see are just, you know, not something that hasn't mean reverted yet. And that's how we basically finish up the offseason pretty rad we did it folks we made it through the offseason to the nba regular season i do want to remind everybody once again heading into this season to go and check out sportsethos.com because as of the tip tonight the fantasy pass our premium subscription which by the way remind you comes with <coughs> i feel like i need to do like the the ace ventura thing one time I took the deep breath on this pod, and then I didn't do the Ace Ventura thing, and you guys were not happy about that. So this time I'm actually going to try to do it. The Fantasy Pass comes with premium tools like a sit-start guide, a schedule grid, a streaming chart, quality games chart. It's got premium pickup articles of the night, Discord access with instant reaction threads, a forum Q&A session with the pros every single day, 24-7, and one hell of a model. American. There's actually more stuff in it, but I ran out of air. Um, you also get live video shows twice a week right now. We'll probably add more about that. You have access to Brewski in the premium section. You have ask, access to me behind the paywall. Uh, there are, oh, dynasty features are in there as well. You've got articles on schedule analysis, weekly reports, uh, international reports. It is really, really good during the season. The pro access might be the most impressive part of it because you really can get our guys almost all the time. 
It's back in the forums again this year. I hope you guys are listening. Pro Access is back in the forums this season. And again, during draft season, there's a six-month membership. Once the season starts, that doesn't exist anymore. You could sign up for 30 days, cancel it at any time, and it's just $5.99 a month. Sportsethos.com, Fantasy Pass, jump on it, and come with us through the season today. Also, I will talk to you guys on social media tonight. Very excited to do our first tweet storm of the year. That'll be coming up later on this evening. At Dan Vespers on Twitter. You can also hit me over there if you have any questions about anything going on. I'm not going to be answering a boatload of Twitter random questions. You can put those in our forums. I'll try to visit those from time to time as well. Uh, If you want to work with us over here, we're looking for NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, DFS, uh, and full season folks who want to break into the industry. If you want to get on a wait list for an Ethos League next year, you can also hit me up on Twitter or you can email roster at sportsethos.com. Good luck with your fantasy seasons. Enjoy the start of the year tonight. Two fun ball games, I hope. Let's get rolling tomorrow. We're talking games that actually happened. We did it, friends. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Off season done. We'll see you tomorrow. Actually, I'll probably see you on social, but then I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>